Christmas sneezes. Christmas sneezing times, Christmas sneezing time, right down Fleming old way. Christmas sneezing times, Christmas sneezing times, Fleming all the way. Oh, what gobs you'll see when you go down <laughs> a terrible avenue. <laughs> I don't like this Christmas song, Paul. No, I don't like this Christmas song. It's um, um, it's very unpleasant. Which stop talking about Christmas as well, because by the time you've edited this and put it out, oh, surely yeah. it's going to be like June. June, yeah, yeah. June. And welcome to summer, everyone. Mm-hmm. I'm still here in Christmas Flemtown. <laughs> Jesus, purgatory, purgatory, purgatory. British Christmas. <laughs> I'm dreaming of a phlegmless Christmas. <laughs> Just for Just once. like the ones my foreign friends have told me about. <laughs> Where noses don't glisten and children are coughing their faces off. And giving me all of their infections. listening to Jen and the Film Critic. <laughs> I can't believe the audience joined in with that and that we heard it. Unbelievable. You're listening to Jen and the Film Critic. My uh, f- a Screen Mayhem podcast. I said that right this time. My Screen Mayhem podcast. My Screen Mayhem yeah. podcast. Um, <laughs> my name is Jen Blundell and with me as always is my film critic, Paul. Say hello, Paul. Hello, everyone. Paul is a flemmy ball today. Flemmy ball. He's a flemmy ball. <laughs> he's a flemmy ball boy. He's a flemmy ball of nonsense and he's rolled his way in. Yeah. Someone let him into the studio. We're recording in a studio. Yeah. This is, oh yeah, this is a high-end production. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Claude and Mayo get filmed next door. Filmed even. <laughs> filmed. Well, filmed we've, we've taken over podcasting now. Podcasting yeah. is our territory. We've told them, get onto film or get out. So now you can only catch the Commode and Mayo show in cinemas, uh, which is uh, something he doesn't really welcome because now his podcast is getting reviewed as a film. How does that feel? <laughs> How do you like it? <laughs> now here, it's going to get reviewed here now. Two out of five, wouldn't recommend. <laughs> Highly derivative. <laughs> of our uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we came first. We Check came the first. tapes. Check the tapes and the records. You, there's no evidence that Kermode and Mayo were actually doing this podcast None. any earlier than this time last year when we started. None whatsoever. So, <sighs> what have you been yeah. watching, Paul? Well, I guess the big thing to talk about is indeed that there is a new avatar out there. So there is. Yes, the way of water. Water. Water, the epicness of it. So I went on a little journey with this film. I went to see it with a friend, a friend of the podcast, at the Leicester Square IMAX with Mm -hmm. its laser 3D technology. And one hour in, the friend I went to see it with had a panic attack, so we left. Oh, no. Uh, She suggested I stay, but I didn't want to because the first hour had been so provocatively, painfully, and outrageously boring. No. And also tedious and ugly that I just wanted to leave. And based on that hour, I would be here giving you a one-star review. But I had to go back to of see the whole thing for the sake of integrity i can't have camo Ke- chomping at the bit ready to take me down as soon as i suggest i didn't watch an entire three and a three hour 20 something tech demo it's three hour and 20 minutes wow so i sit through the dreadful first hour again and 
I do have to say that after that, it did get better. Oh, it didn't okay. get smarter, but yeah. I started to appreciate why it was made and why some people seem to like it so much. Okay. So what's wrong with that first hour and with the movie in general? Well, essentially, Cameron spends his first act rearranging the pieces so that he can do the plot points from the first movie again. Okay. The first movie, for those who don't remember, even though everybody saw it, everybody saw it, but I feel like very few actually remembered it afterwards. Um, yeah. The first movie introduced us to the world of Pandora, where the Na'vi people um, live and are attacked by the already established Earth forces who want to harvest the natural resources from the planet. One of the Earth folk, Jake Sully, played by Sam Worthington, had his mind connected to a Na'vi body, an avatar, in order to help infiltrate the hostile native race. Uh, But he went native, led a revolt against the humans, killing the big bad guy um, and driving them off world. Uh, he then fully went into the Navi body, becoming the Avatar. Mm. So that was the first movie. And then, so at the beginning of this movie, we race through some exposition about his now extended family. Uh, then the humans come back and establish a new base. So it's not even like an invasion narrative. They're just back again. Back to square one on that. The mean army dude is back, only this time he's a Navi clone. Okay. So he's blue now. Okay. Jake, for no good reason, exiles himself from the tribe that he fell in with in the last movie and has to travel to a different tribe, a water tribe. Okay. So we get the fish out of water, ho ho uh-huh. thing again, um, which includes having to ride a ma- learning how to ride a mount, earning the respect of the bullies in the tribe, all of that business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find out once again that the natives have a profound relationship with nature, which is in this one, instead of being about how they can connect their weird sex organs to trees, um, is actually about how they can speak to whales. And okay. rather hilariously, the whales get subtitles. So there's oh. a bit where a pregnant woman uh, rides out to meet with her whale. Cause they all have like a special connection with a particular whale. And the whale like goes, and we just get subtitles being like, anyway, how's your pregnancy? <laughs> That's actually very good. I actually love that. <laughs> it's actually pretty good. We need a character to slowly get disillusioned with the human side of things so that they can, you know, side with the natives. So instead of having Jake Sully do that, because that would be a little too much of a stretch, they kidnap one of the kids that Jake Sully had adopted, the son of the original bad guy who's been living amongst the Navi, and he falls in and gets on board really quickly with his... um dad clone and then slowly becomes disillusioned over the course of the film great Mm. so we can do that again uh then we also have a scene of ecological disaster where the humans go too far and attack something very important spoiler alert it's the whales (gasps) and that leads to the big showdown with the army dude uh which you know goes the way you'd expect so it's the exact same movie Mm. beat for beat it is the same Mm. movie after an awkward hour of trying to get things back the way they were it's a bland copy of an already thunderingly unoriginal concept that was the first movie. Mm. And the only new element is that Jake Sully has these kids now. Uh, there's a really bland one that they're obviously going to kill to raise the stakes in the third act. An adopted teenage daughter, distractingly voiced by Sigourney Weaver, who's yeah. got, you know, nature powers. She can, like, communicate with things. Uh, there's an impetuous uh, young son uh, that they do in How to Train Your Dragon plot with. Okay. Because he befriends the uh, the outcast sea whale that you're not supposed to speak mm. to. But it's just misunderstood, Jen. <laughs> and it saved his life. No, you've got to all be friends with the outcast whale. Uh, <laughs> and then there's a little girl for parents to find cute. I think she has three lines. So it's all here just to do the absolute most generic Disney movie thing, uh, you know, of kids' power fantasy. The kids take to the new lifestyle quicker than the parents do. Mm. And so the kids have to teach the parents how to, sure, sure. you know, sa- save the day and learn about the way of water 
So the characters are tremendously boring. The tedious main character is to be expected in a big blockbuster movie that you want everyone to relate to. Yeah. But Sam Worthington is pushing it. His <sighs> voice, it sucks you right out of any moment you're having to be like in this rainforest with tanks and explosions and Navi people. And then Sam Worthington's voice of just, we got to get out of here. It's like, oh my God, yeah. you're, the most, you're the dullest man who ever lived. Uh there's there's also no fun side characters. There's no Han Solo or Jack okay, Sparrow to yeah. be pulling focus away. There's no cool mentor you can get behind, like a Gandalf or a Morpheus. You know, these are archetypes. But, mm. you know, if you're not doing anything original, you might as well try and do a fun archetype. And even the villain, the usual safest bet for an actual interesting character or someone you can be excited by, is just the gruff army dude from the last one, but he's blue now. Hmm. He's so unthreatening. As soon as he captures the good guys, you know that nothing's going to happen. And they start to tease a redemption arc, which just makes me feel so tired. Yeah. Because that's going to play out over the next three movies or so. And it's just exhausting. Mm. So the movie is meant to be the future of cinema, but the plot and characters all feel 30 years old. And something very important occurred to me during this. In Avatar 1, when Jake Sully was trying to narc narc on a tribe of close-knit warriors only to go native and discover that they know more about life than he did, um, everybody obviously compared it to Dances with Wolves, Fern Mm. Gully, Pocahontas, you know, the list is endless. But now that they're specifically trying to do the same thing, but with really out-of-date surf dudes who call everybody bro and (laughs) were on a beach all the time, I realize he wasn't trying to remake any of those movies. Uh. This whole thing, this whole multi-billion dollar project has grown out of James Cameron's jealousy of his ex-wife's perfect movie, Point Break. (laughs) Well, you are no Catherine Bigelow, sir, and Worthington is no Keanu, and there's no Swayze in sight. True. That is a good (sighs) film. It was a very good film, and they tried to make Zoe Saldana a kind of Swayze in the last movie, but now she's restricted to Laurie Petty duties at the very best. Oh. She has nothing. It's irritating. It's irritating that this movie is going to take up so much space in cinemas and, you know, is going to vie for such a privileged position in cinema, which Point Break Mm. already has and deserves. (laughs) So let's talk about what Cameron actually cares about and is the reason people are going to go Mm. see this three-hour slog. Let's talk about the technology. Mm-hmm. All I'm hearing from from enthusiasts for this film is it shows how far we've come in the last 13 years. Does it? Okay. Because it all Mm. kind of looks the same to me, which isn't helped by the fact that the culture of the Water Tribe is not very different from the Forest Tribe that we learned about. The colors Mm. are the same, the look, the... The, the the culture they're drawing on is now vaguely Pacific Ocean people rather than Native okay, American, yeah. but is still given that sort of bland gloss over kind of CGI aesthetic. And then in terms of special effects, this is like console generations are now. You know, the mm. difference between the PS1 and the PS2 was mind blowing. Mm. Avatar 1 and 2 is the difference between the PS4 and the PS4 Pro. Okay. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I think, I, I think it was worth the money. You know, it's just, mm. it's, it's, it's not no significant anymore, and perhaps it never will be again. Mm. And the 3D was about how it was last time for me, which is kind of neat for five minutes, where it's like, oh, yeah, look at the depth. And, you know, mm. they're in the foreground. That's kind of cool. Then I either forget about it or I get a headache as a result of it. Mm. It's those two things. At best case scenario, I'm not noticing it. And then when I saw the movie a second time at the Leicester Square Super Screen, which is the second most prestigious screen at the Cineworld there, it was terrible. It wasn't the laser 3D, so half of the screen was just blurry. 
Oh. When I when I went to the woman and said, "Hey, could I get the the special glasses? Because these are like the crappy plastic wrapped f- mm. uh, foldy glasses. Yesterday you gave me these proper like white, you know, fully made for the purpose glasses." And she said, "Oh, sorry, it's a different technology." Oh. And I was like, "Oh, so the one you're showing in this screen is just slightly worse, right? Well, quite quite worse." And she was like, "Where were you sat? Are you sat in the middle?" And I was, but also, are you telling me that there's like a huge number of seats at this cinema where you're just not going to get a good effect? Are those cheaper? It's just, uh, I don't know. It's not a great technology to hedge Mm. your bets on. So where's the good? You know, I said I I like this better the second time. So what I did actually enjoy, Mm. the scene where they destroy the world tree in the first one is here as the whale hunt. They hunt and kill one of the whales. Mm. And that's when I first felt like I was seeing some of the money on screen. Because this is the most expensive movie ever made, apparently. Yeah. And Cameron loves his marine stuff. We all know that. Mm. You know, the climax of this movie is basically Titanic again. And once the boats were sliding out of other boats and submarines were being deployed and there were lots of guns and harpoons on the ships, I did find myself actually getting drawn in on a purely aesthetic level. Mm. Some of the spectacle does actually work. But... Oh, I just, I couldn't help but think of what Dune accomplished with Mm. just good cinematography and the use of light and color and atmosphere. It Mm. really does feel like there's no artistry to the image here. Like, all of the effort went into creating the world. And then the actual filming of that world goes for this kind of documentary, nature documentary style where nothing feels particularly exciting. It's just, here it is, look, the world is so cool. All we have to do is point our camera. Mm. And it's just... If you're not buying into it, you know, as being this incredible new world, this, you know, awe-inspiring new place, a new landscape, then you'll just get bored. Um, Mm. I don't know. It's drawing people back to cinemas, which is a good thing. Uh, But I was in the bathroom after the movie and I heard a kid say to their parent, "Um, I liked it, but Jurassic World Dominion is still my favorite. And that made me a little sick. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Poor kid. Uh, It's good that he enjoys the movies and he's having these big screen moments, but oh dear. Um, Yeah. I'm going to give it two stars, and I think it'll be a guilty pleasure for me, because in so many ways, I kind of hated it and what it represents, but I am going to see it at least once more before it leaves cinemas (laughs) as a thing, and I'm not entirely sure why I'm going to see this three hour and 20 minute boring movie again. Maybe this rating will change. Maybe. Maybe it's going to gradually sneak up. Like, it's such a dull film, but I just kind of... I think it's just... It's Christmas, and I like seeing big screen spectacles at Christmas. I see. I like, you know, things to remind me of sort of the power of blockbuster entertainment, even when this movie is doing so little to be that. And I will say, the the, the movie had uh, four trailers before it. No, Mm. five trailers before it. And I was really excited about four of them. Oh, okay. So I can't necessarily complain about where mainstream cinema is at at the moment. Mm. We've got some fun things coming up. I just, I fear the resurgence of terrible 3D. Mm. And then this time next year, we're going to have our next three hour tech demo for software that maybe somebody else will use to make a good movie. Mm. And it's a little bit exhausting that that's where we're at. But at the moment, yeah, it's it's two stars for me. I just, it's kind of disappointing. It represents a real decline in James Cameron's appetite for narrative character mm. drama you know it's the guy who made t2 mm. made terminator 2 and aliens and you know all these other things even a true lies at this point would be a nice break i'm just it bums me out that he's now the avatar machine and he's just going to keep churning out these very bland blockbusters now just to show off the technology yeah yeah hey
Sneezy yes. time for polls. Sneezy times for boys and girls. <laughs> Come on, kids, let's all sneeze together. Three, two, one, and choo! <laughs> oh, that's better. This is what I normally sound like, kids. <laughs> Barney! <laughs> yeah, got out of town. Oh, God. Well, let's move on to something truly immersive for me. Dreadfully so, in fact. <gasps> Eric Maria Remarque's uh, 1929 novel, All Quiet on the Western Front, has ah. been adapted again. Ah. It was, of course, previously adapted by the Americans in, the 19- in 1930 into one of the great anti-war epics of cinema history. So it's a lofty undertaking to make the film again, especially after over a century of sort of, sort of harrowing anti-war films following in, a, in that tradition. Mm. But German director Edvard Berger ha- presents a German-language version that certainly feels pertinent and indicative of the horror of war representative, we should say. So Felix Kammerer is playing Paul Balmer, the long-suffering soldier who signs up to the Imperial Army in the First World War and is swept up in the nationalistic fervour espoused by his teachers and friends, and it goes about as well as you'd expect, as he experiences the harsh realities of trench warfare. So the film is faithful to the spirit of the book, if not necessarily the events. You know, you've got the vicious and pointless battles over just a few metres of land, the horrible fight for survival even away from the front line behind the trenches. Um, It strays significantly in a few places. For one, Paul never returns home, as he does in the book. Uh, In the book, he goes back to the farm he sort of lives on and he visits his dying mother, and it's important to illustrate his irrevocable separation from his life that he was living before the war. Um, that he's just not the same man and he won't be able to go back afterwards. Hmm. In the film, it's explored a little in dialogue, but Berger very much keeps us focused on the experience of warfare itself in this really visceral kind of direct way. And we do also have sequences featuring German high command preparing the surrender. was set much later in the war um, in this, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, creating therefore a bit of a ticking clock where the soldiers have to try and stay alive long enough to see the armistice come. Uh-huh. So I think comparisons to 2019's 1917 are kind of inevitable. It was the last big trench warfare movie. Um, And by comparison, you can just see how clean 1917 was. Like, obviously, it was a very distressing and heartbreaking Mm. film. But it's also a film where there are heroes. There are Mm. good missions and there are great deeds to be done and noble deaths. Um, And I thought about this in particular when in All Quiet on the Western Front, the Germans capture a French trench. And whilst their colleagues continue to wage war outside and sort of die and fight, our heroes just desperately feast upon a dinner that's been abandoned on the table. Hmm. You know, this is a movie about, you know, battles between starving dogs of men. Hmm. Uh, But not that this is particularly gory, interestingly. You'll see worse things than Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge or, you know, anything of that kind. But it expresses the abruptness and senselessness of death in the trenches. You know, the speed with which a walking, talking man can become just a dead corpse is very distressing but there is something a little disappointing in the cleanness of the deaths often Mm. you know people everyone just kind of falls down and there'll be blood on their faces it doesn't quite do that whole dehumanization that happened as a Mm. result of the sort of mechanized nature of warfare in the trenches um that might just be my taste you know (laughs) my thing it's just as soon as i see like a human body just get churned up it's like jesus christ we're made of nothing (laughs) <laughs> We're made of absolutely nothing, just butter True. that's barely oh. held together by anything. After this holiday, I'm 95% butter, yes. Excellent. Mm. Good stuff. I don't recommend trench warfare for you. Oh, for the next well, let me... Ca- rip, rip, rip. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get back to your weightlifting and you become super buff, then yeah. 
yeah, then you'll be able to just stride over no man's land. Mm. Kicking Impenetrable. <laughs> Everybody get behind Jen. <laughs> Bullets pinging off me. <laughs> oh, flex. Damn it. I'll also become Austrian, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, that'll be very confusing. Which side will you be fighting on? Um, <laughs> uh, the independent state of Lancashire. Of Genville. <laughs> Genville. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is contrasted by the conditions of the living. Uh, Camera spends most of the movie with his face mm. just caked in mud, distorting his features, rendering him wretched and monstrous. Mm. And the anti-war message certainly per- uh, perseveres, and it's a very powerful and arresting work. The only real issue I had with the film in general was the music by Volker uh, Bertelmann, mm. who has written a very modern score, which builds dread quite well, but then... Elsewhere, it's really generic, especially in the battle scenes. Mm. And it's a little bit, I don't know, sometimes watching it, I was just put in mind of like modern warfare. Okay. Like the Call of Duty games. Mm. It just, it doesn't quite get across the horror that I think it needed to. So, I don't know, it's four stars because although it is a frank and brutal and very well accomplished work, it lacks something of the poetry and humanity of the book for me. You know, this movie is like a hammer for your head where the novel is a knife for your heart. And I feel like there's just, yeah, a slight difference there, which, yeah, four stars. It's still a a, a monumental piece of work and one that does stay with you. Excellent. Um, As well as horror films, I also don't really watch war films. Fair. Because I'm a wimp. It is fairly horrific. Of the heart. (laughs) A wimp of the heart. But uh, I don't know if my brother, he's been talking about this film Mm. recently. I'm not sure if he's seen it or wants to see it or he was talking about the original or something. Anyway. Or it's yeah. just because it's come out, but he loves war films. He also loves Avatar, the original. <laughs> so amazing. I'm going to say on behalf of Jake, <laughs> I, I, yeah, we'll watch both. Yeah, fair enough. I'm speaking I, I on want... behalf of the Blundell family today. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm glad that you're here as their representative mm-hmm. against yeah. this horrible man. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, speaking yeah. of horrible men, <laughs> uh, the next one to talk about is Corsage. Corsage. Yes, which has been on our radar for a little bit since mm-hmm. I read the preview from Cannes. Yep. Uh, and then I missed it at the London Film Festival mm-hmm. because of my stupid film course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it is now out on general release. So Vicky Creeps, who was amazing in Phantom Fred and ridiculous in old, <laughs> as was everyone in old, uh, plays Empress Elizabeth of Austria mm-hmm. in Mary Kreutzler's, Kreutzler's sorry, original film. So we meet the Empress and see her sort of day-to-day activities of being made up, attending functions to support her increasingly indifferent husband. And then in her spare time, she demonstrates a great many skills and learnings and you know, is ex- but is expected only to look good publicly mm. and is renowned for doing so. And though she may resent this, she is also terrified that the only worth she is afforded by the terrible society she lives in shall disappear as she gets older. She has just had her 50, uh, 40th birthday. Yeah. So it's less about the actual events of the Empress's life, which I read up about afterwards and thought, huh, that's a lot of fairly important stuff I don't remember <laughs> getting mentioned. Yeah. It's... um. More about just the expectations placed on her to look her best and to act genteel at all times mm. and the methods that she has developed to try and cope with those expectations and how those methods of coping with things also are starting to wear away at her. Mm. So, yeah, she becomes obsessed with her appearance and gaining the approval of admirers. She surrounds herself with people who will sort of admire her and her beauty, but also, you know, is starting to lash out at them as she becomes frustrated at 
everybody's seeming unwillingness to engage with her on a greater level. A lot of people have compared the film to uh, Sofia Coppola's Mary Antoinette, mm-hmm. uh, much to the director's annoyance. Mm-hmm. But I think the more obvious comparison, I don't think she'll be happier about this, is to Pablo Lorraine Spencer. Mm. And that has to start with a suitable suspension of disbelief. Uh, this is a film that's going to take great liberties with the Empress's life and also just, yeah, with the main sort of, with the sort of events that have happened. Um, it's quite playfully anachronistic and stylistically quirky. It'll do like little things to like, the, the one that sticks with me is there's a moment where she walks into her room and suddenly she's giant and the room is tiny. Yeah. You know, like an Alice in Wonderland style thing. So it's using sort of visual quirks to communicate her feelings of uh, being confined of outgrowing a place that kind of thing um and the joy of the film is seeing her push back against expectation yeah and finding a sense of individuality and you know gently pinpricking the pomposity of people around her which culminates in the fabulous ending which is just a wonderful subversion um vicky creeps is amazing in it she does both sides of the character really well of being this really compassionate um, and down-to-earth person, but whilst also being really prickly and, you know, complicated mm. in her own way. Uh, fantastic music by Camille, which is, again, very modern, but in a way that actually... I complained about it in All um, all Quiet on the Western Front, because that movie felt like the modern music was made was there to make it more generic. Here it's very much to make it stand out and to mm. remind you of the contemporary relevance of what you're seeing. You know, this is a movie about celebrity culture, about you know, patriarchal expectations of women to just, you know, fulfill a role, a supportive role to male, to men. And yeah, it's just, it's a very playful, creative and subversive movie about that. So yeah, this one I'm giving five stars. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I'd like to see it. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It's yeah. really good stuff. Um, CC is a bit of an icon in, um, I used to work mm. a lot in Vienna. To, every, to everyone who doesn't know, my mum knows. Hey, mum. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well if she knows do you have to say it that's like 50% yeah, of the that's audience. true um, <laughs> I used to spend a lot of time in Vienna and the, the yeah. Cece is still a celebrity figure there she is big she's also big tourist money draw mm. so um, you know they stick her face on everything but I don't really yeah. know that much about her apart from her being you know famously beautiful and that's the thing is what style and I didn't know much about her reputation before seeing it, but apparently the reputation is one of just being this very beautiful, demure, mm. kind of doll-like figure, and there's a tragedy associated there because in real life she was assassinated yes. at the end of her life, and it was a case in of being in the wrong Geneva. place at the wrong time, I think. She like, killed... she wasn't even the main target or Maybe. something like that. Was she killed in Geneva? I'm not sure. I feel like, I feel like I've seen a plaque to someone like that. Anyway, not important. <laughs> I'll look that someone... up later. <laughs> <laughs> some last killed here so, yeah, some gal whatever <laughs> yeah did she it, was it also her that had lots of children who died or was that a different yes Austri- that's the thing is okay. she did have several children who died and unless i mm. missed it somehow that doesn't seem to be one of the main concerns of the film it's more about the impact of stately life is having on her and that's why obviously yeah. i think about spencer yeah she she was assassinated in geneva yeah next right. to the um yeah accidental well, fire um, this film imagines a slightly different interesting mm. <laughs> yeah so yeah i highly okay. recommend it interesting yeah. yeah she's a she's an interesting sounding figure you know yeah absolutely and this yeah it's definitely a film that's going to play around with her reputation because mm. it's, it's that habsburg empire right that she's yes, part of is. right so yeah yeah big, and the, and big business in europe <laughs> oh yeah they were like big celebrities Huge. of the time mm. yeah yeah all uh. over the shop 
all over the shop. And it's, mm. yeah, very much a movie about that reputation. Interesting. That's, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Speaking of interesting, mm. we also have a movie that dropped on Netflix just today. <gasps> and you watched it already? Oh, I've watched it already. I'm a busy little bee. <laughs> it's White Noise. Okay. Sounds like a horror. It's not a horror, oh, actually. Oh, okay. No, this is Noah Baumbach, who... Um, do you know Noah, Noah Baumbach? Oh, did he do... Indie uh, comedies. Yeah, mostly. indie comedies, right? Like... Uh, Squid and the Whale? Yes, that's what I was trying to think of, yes. Yeah. he was. He's basically anything that Greta Gerwig did before um, Lady Bird. Okay. Was essentially Noah Baumbach. Um, sure. Hold on, let me get his filmography. It's... Uh, Oh, wow. He wrote uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Sazao. That's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I know him first, uh, Squid and the Whale. And then I don't think I saw Margot at the wedding. No, I didn't. Oh, he also wrote Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay, he's got a new, uh, he's, he's part of that whole American indie thing. And the big movie mm. was Francis Ha. Um, but I also loved While We're Young. I did not enjoy Mistress America, although maybe mm. I need to give that a rewatch. And then he also scored a big hit with the Mayowitz stories. And I, oh, of course, yes. pe- and of course, massive movie a few years ago, Marriage Story. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. That's Incredible him. film. Oh, he's written Barbie. That's cute. <laughs> oh, that's a new Barbie film that's coming out. Yeah, he's written that with Greta Gerwig. Oh, Fantastic. fun. Oh, I didn't realise it was them writing it. That sounds fun. Oh, yeah. Gerwig's directing it. Great. Oh, yeah. I'm definitely watching it. I can't it wait. It's that, I still saw it on Twitter uh, pointing out that um, Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer are getting released very close together. <laughs> so that's going to make for a fun double bill. Yeah. Who, who's, st- who's playing Barbie? Um, it's it's not. Is it Margot Robbie? Oh, that'd be great, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's Margot Robbie. And Ken? And then uh, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Obvious. <laughs> Production stills are all, already great. It's not Lily James. Let no, me... Lily James played uh, Pamela Anderson this year. I associate uh, the two. Yes, yes. Probably. Anyway, that's that's Baumbach's sort of world. He's very much the indie comedy guy. And here he's reuniting with Adam Driver from Marriage Story and also Greta Gerwig. Mm-hmm. It's an adaptation of Don DeLelio's apparently significant novel, though I must say I hadn't heard of it before this film, but it's one of these great American novels that satirizes the American middle classes as if that okay. was a hard thing. As if that was a hard thing to do. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I'm very irritated by this novel existing. <laughs> I have never heard of it or its author before, but it's meant to be like the great American novel, and it's like, oh, haven't we got enough of those? <laughs> oh, academics overthink everything and consumerism is dehumanizing. Is it? <laughs> I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's a really good novel. I'm just frustrated by how many of these things are. I guess maybe it came out at a time when there were fewer of those already out. So. Maybe maybe it did. But yeah. you know, Russia can have great novels because everything falls apart every five minutes. Yeah. America, oh, supermarkets are like a religion. Oh, wow. Yeah. What are the great Turkish novels? That's what I want to know. Find out what those are and translate them for me. Orhan Pamuk? David's a big yeah. fan. He's in exile, Ooh. though, so you, you you can't. His books aren't. Uh, I feel like his if books you're are in banned. exile. <laughs> but they're very interesting books about Turkey. Uh, and we visited. There's one called Snow. That's a kind of murder mystery type. Well, Ooh. not murder mystery. It's about murders. No, it's about deaths. Anyway, it's about someone investigating some deaths in um, cars which is a city that we visited when we were in Turkey in September. Oh, very and, um, fun. You see, these, are the, these yeah. are the great novels I want adapted now. Yeah, I think I maybe it has been. A, has there been an adaptation? Maybe a TV show or something? But, Ooh. Uh, well, I've had enough. Yeah. I've had enough of American middle class culture being terrible because <laughs> it's fine. It's, mm. as much, it's, a, it's about whatever you want it to be. Anyway. 
<laughs> it's Adam Driver as a middle-aged academic who is forced to address his fear of death and issues with his family when a toxic cloud appears over his town, forcing the family to move across country from one shelter to the next. Um, so it's oh, it's very bound batch in as much as it is very quirky, but okay. quite enjoyable if you're able to get onto its terms. Okay. The characters, you know, nobody speaks like a normal, like a human being would. They all have these very well-rehearsed kind of things and the screenplay is like that but i've always liked the way Batch does dialogue sequences of having people talking over each other different conversations going on at the same time it's ironically very natural in spite of the fact that the things people are saying are very quirky hmm. you know the characters are all very much ciphers for their particular aspect of american life that they're satirizing and so have these little obsessions and things they'll say over and over again and nobody feels quite real hmm. which if you're able to get on board with that, it's fine and you can enjoy it on its terms, but other times you'll just think, why am I watching this? <laughs> <laughs> What's yeah. the investment here? You know, but I don't know, you have to ask yourself, is this a fully successful adaptation or have you just filmed the novel? Because mm. what I read, it, it does follow it very closely and it has a structure that feels very novel-like, mm. which might lose some aspect of investment, okay. especially when the thing that you kind of thought the novel was about stops about two thirds of the way right. through mm. and you think okay yes a novel can do this a novel can have a lengthy outro about what happens to everybody after sure you know after the main thing but a movie that can be a slightly trickier prospect mm. in terms of keeping the momentum up and keeping people invested it's certainly very stylistically interesting it might be Baumbach's most stylistically interesting film with lots of you know quick montages and big special effects sequences and you know a chase sequence is quite exciting but in some ways, it reminds me of High Rise. Mm. Very stylistic and very cinematic in its evocation. But did it find the humanity or internal logic of the cinematic piece that it's offering? Mm. You know, did it did it create its own world, or do you just feel like you're watching the world of the book mm. illustrated? Yeah. Um, and I'm not quite sure. So. I enjoyed parts of it more than others. Sometimes it's very funny or exciting. Sometimes you relate to the characters. Other times you don't, and it's annoying and insincere and anticlimactic. So, in other words, it has been more or less my experience with most Bound Batch projects. <laughs> uh, but not, no, not most. That's not fair. It's largely Mistress America I didn't get on with, and that sort of affected mm. my perception. Because while we're young, I really enjoyed, and obviously I loved Marriage Story. I haven't actually seen the Meowitz, um stories so is that the one where um adam sandler's very good yeah in meant to be very yes good. yes yes it's one He's of the films that adam turn. sandler does so that he, you know so that people in my film class can insist that he's misunderstood <laughs> none of whom have watched grown-ups too <laughs> or jack and jill yeah and it's just oh great me so for that reason, it's <laughs> three stars because because of Adam Sandler. Fair enough. <laughs> no, I enjoyed the film well enough. It's yeah. just, it, yeah, I can imagine people being a little frustrated by it. I was at times, mm. but there is still a great deal of good work here. So okay. yeah, it's three stars. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. I think so. Mm -hmm. And we move on. And we move and on. And you know... Even though it is now ja uh, January the 30th or whenever it is, I managed to get this out. <laughs> There's still a couple of Christmas things to discuss. <gasps> okay. Well, what one specifically? Uh -huh. Violent Night. Violent Night. Yes. The yes, the I've Chris... seen the trailer for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Looked> fun. <laughs> 
the Christmas genre film is an interesting undertaking. Mm. The idea of doing your action movie or horror film or whatever, you know, at Christmas. If you do it right, I guess you guarantee a yeah. yearly audience for your movie. But then also, you, it, it's it's curious. You're you're des- you're you're tying your movie into the cutesy and the novelty, mm. which um, certainly doesn't seem to be a shortcoming of this film. It's something it fully embraces. This is Tommy Verkola, the uh, Norwegian director who previously made Dead Snow and Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. I'm disappointed to find out. Wow. Yeah, okay. I enjoyed Dead Snow. I didn't mm. enjoy Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. No. Um, it's about uh, Santa Claus, basically, played by David Harbour, yes. who br- uh, breaks into... He enters a home in order to leave presents under the tree, only to find that there is a diehard-style hu- uh, f- kidnapping going on, where the very rich family who live in the house have all been held hostage by John Leguizamo as he tries to acquire the family fortune. Uh, but fortunately, this Santa isn't just like any other Santa. He's got some kick-ass skills that are going to help him to take down the yes. uh, robbers and hopefully save Christmas. So you've got these sort of very creative kill sequences where Santa takes people out using like decorations from a Christmas tree or, <laughs> you know, chokes someone out with some with some fairy lights, you know, this kind of thing. Yeah. And it's very fun and kind of silly. Uh, the gore is all CGI, which mm. is very disappointing. <laughs> it's very upsetting when you realize that's what's happening because it does just, I don't know. It makes me feel a little cheated. Mm. Like, really, was it worth the easy cleanup at the end of the day and being able to take multiple takes just in order to make the gore not look visceral or fun? Mm. It's just, you know, it's part of the reason people are showing up for this thing, surely. Yeah. But in terms of its comedy, it's quite campy and entertaining. Um, it's fine but i and david harbour is quite good like i enjoy him as the sort of begrudging uh mean-spirited old santa who's sick of kids today and mm. you know he he works quite well and there are some very inventive kills with this thing and you know it is possible to get a little excited and in particular there's a sequence in which the little girl is going to take down some terrorists using home alone style traps mm. um and only with a gory twist and that's yeah that is quite an enjoyable sequence. So, fine. yeah, it's fine. I'll be, cu- I'll be curious to see if it has the staying power to become a bit of an alternate holiday classic, like Don't Watch, Don't Look Now, or is it called Don't Look Now? Better watch out, it's called. <laughs> I will substitute <laughs> Don't, look, Don't now. look Now into any three-title ho- movie title. <laughs> Three-word movie title. God. Yeah. Better watch uh, out, sort of it's a very good film. Your, if, it's, <laughs> if it's a film with a name that's a, it's an instruction, it's called Don't <laughs> Look Now. To be fair... Don't look now and better watch out. Have a lot more in common than <laughs> yeah. Don't well, worry, they're kind darling. of the op- yeah. Don't worry, darling. Although they're kind of the opposite instructions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Anyway, yes. It'll be curious to see if it has the same power. But I'd I'd give it three stars. It's it's quite oh, okay. It's a good. It's a bit of a laugh. The trailer looked like a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I think it knows what it is, and it's definitely playing it for sort of self-aware and mm. you know the final the final kill is um very entertaining. Okay. So we're talking like saw level, but jolly. Saw kind level of. Type, type Except saw always used to use practical gore. So oh, did it? Oh, okay. It always had a slightly more visceral feel sure. to it. But yeah, there's some entertaining little twists on Christmas tradition, okay. which is quite fun. Yeah. Because I weirdly thought it looked entertaining to watch, but I was assuming yeah. it was a sort of campy violence it is. Oh, oh no, it definitely yeah. is. Like, okay, um, that's the, that's the yeah. vibe. I got. Over the t- over the top okay. is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdly for me, yeah. when it's CGI, sometimes it's less scary. 
Yeah, because you know it's fake. Yeah, I know it's all. <laughs> it looks more fake. So if it's just campy yeah. CGI, somehow it's fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm I'm fine. With, you know, I can watch like Kill Bill and everyone's arms and legs are flying everywhere, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's fine, whatever. But when yeah. you know you see some really great practical effect of someone getting an eye stabbed out, I'm like, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, God. It definitely depends think, on how they present it. Yeah, it's the presentation, yeah. I think, that matters, because I'm sure Tarantino would have mainly used uh, practical effects for the Kill Bill, like, sword fights and such. Even that big one where she spends ten minutes chopping everyone's arms and legs off? I feel like probably. <laughs> I haven't seen behind-the-scenes stuff, but I'd be very be surprised if that CGI stuff. Wow. I watched it uh, over ten years ago on a rubbish TV, so... Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, but that's very much high definition, yeah. you definitely see that actual blood. <laughs> Oh, it's kind of weird. Okay. I don't remember that scene having any blood in it. No, well, it's black and white. They cut yeah. to black and white for it because it would have been too gory, apparently, to oh, really? have it in an R-rated movie. So they cut to black and white to do it. Ah, funny. It's very strange. Is our rating equivalent to like a fifteen, or is that an eighteen? No, uh, that's yeah. I feel it's like tricky, the main isn't problem it? with the American censorship board is that they don't have. Mm the equivalent to r18 certificate they only have the r rating which is about in terms of the content you're allowed to get away with a 15 okay sure which is why you know people often have to edit out most of the stuff even from horror movies you're not right. allowed to put in a fair amount of gore weird oh well now let's talk about something truly horrific Ooh. because now we're going to talk about she said she said yes it's been that long since we recorded one of these because this came out in like the early December. Wow. This is Maria Schrader's film about the downfall of Harvey Weinstein oh, and the yes. beginning of the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. So the film focuses on journalists Jodie Cantor and Megan Twohey, uh, Zoe Kazan and Carrie Mulligan. Mm-hmm. As they uncover not only the many crimes of Harvey Weinstein, but also the terrifying systems in place to isolate and intimidate his victims into silence. And it's about them just going around trying to find someone who was going to be willing to speak. And they ultimately discover that because of the way the system works, they will need to get everybody to jump together sure. and everybody to come forward. Otherwise, no one person is going to be able to do so. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's a very full on film. The I think the comparison that is inevitable to make is to Spotlight, which was oh, yes. you know a movie from 2015 about the scandal of child abuse in the Catholic Church, yes. which broke in a similar sort of single news story that then opened the floodgates to everything happening. So, you know, it was a similar movement um, and a similar style of, of movie that's made. And I think what's really interesting at the heart of both is how do you communicate the horror of this in a way that is both respectful, not exploitative, but doesn't shy away from the hit either, and yet in this oh god to use a, a really unpleasant phrase to describe it is palatable mm. because you want people to see this movie yeah. and what this movie does really well is to create a narrative out of the investigation okay of lots of very compelling sequences of just them doing journalistic work and it has to be said zoe kazan and carrie mulligan are fantastic mm. in this they're just these wonderful authoritative people who believe very sternly in what they're doing and are deeply empathetic with the people they are speaking to, and yet also very powerfully assertive in their need to expose the truth. Yeah, it's you know a movie with journalists as heroes, which is an appeal. I think a generally appealing notion, mm-hmm. even as we live in a world where we're well aware of the lack of journalistic integrity in so much of our media, 
and a general lack of public interest in the truth or moral integrity. <laughs> it's just, it's very nice the idea that the truth will out. Yes. And then once the truth is out, our society will actually step in and do something about it. Mm. As opposed to just, yeah, use a bunch of people, but you know, what are you going to do? Say la vie, innit? Say la vie, let's vote in president a second time, see what happens. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's an appealing fantasy, is yeah. this film. But I mean, it happened, right? I mean, yeah. Weinstein got exposed and he went to jail and he's still there and he deserves it. And that is at least one positive story, although you do then worry the extent to which Weinstein was just scapegoated for, mm. well, not scapegoated because he did do those mm. things, but like, um, yeah, they, you know, sacrificed him. Yeah, sacrificial lamb style thing. Yes. He got rid of him and then the the institutions and the other yeah. abusers kind of just sunk below the surface. But that's ultimately, in spite of what Idiot said about Me Too, was what that was trying to address, was mm. to try and root out and shift the pal- power balance a bit. And I think that's one of the things that scared everybody about Me Too was the idea that women would possess this power. <gasps> How dare we? Uh, I mean, we all know that a man can call can call a woman any number one any number of things and have her just blacklisted from society forever. But what if women could do that to men with no proof whatsoever? <gasps> oh no! Oh no! That would be a terrible thing for them to have a tiny amount of the power that we've always wielded and always will. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, but that, that's you know for me too. Yeah, stuff. can't trust us but, as power, Paul. We'll probably just no. launder it. Or, oh, but what if you or... didn't get abused that time? What if you were just having a period and misunderstood everything? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. It happens. You have a period and then suddenly you're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. You haven't got a brain suddenly, anymore. Suddenly you don't like all the people in power. Suddenly. All the men in power. Yeah, there I am. Left, right and centre. <sighs> it's a disgrace. Mm. Women are a disgrace. And that's what <laughs> she said it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very good film. I'm going to give it five stars. It was a very powerful movie. It was a really, it was a very watchable film, and that's, you know, it feels tricky to describe it as such, but it mm. it does manage to be a movie that you want to watch, um, as well as telling this thing because ultimately, you know, the good guys win this battle. Yeah, and it's wonderful to see that considering it's such an important battle to mm. be fought still, you know, and the movie does end with a subtitle that simultaneously celebrates the success mm. of these women whilst also pointing out the work that needs to be done. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good, it's a very good film. I'm glad it was made and I'm glad that it's, you know, going to hopefully affect because what it would be terrible if me too went down as a witch hunt. Yeah. Because it definitely didn't get to that <laughs> stage. It was not allowed to get to anywhere near oh, that gosh. fucking stage. I know. Nobody got blacklisted. You know, and this, uh, I don't know, conversations around cancelling but still being what they are, mm. you know, it's still its still an important conversation for people to be having. And I yeah. hope that this film got to provoke a little of that. Mm. Great. Did you give yeah. it a star rating? Oh, yeah, five. Five. Great. Yeah. Superb. Absolutely. Speaking of things that can be a little tricky to watch, mm-hmm. Tori and Lakita. Tori and Lakita. Tori and Lakita. Okay. Yeah. There's a new film from the Darden brothers concerning mm. two immigrants living in Belgium. Okay. Uh, you've got a 10 year old boy named Tori, played mm-hmm. by Pablo Schills, and a teenage girl named Lakita, played by Mbudu Jolie, mm-hmm. uh, who are posing as brother and sister in the mm-hmm. hopes of getting citizenship. And as they wait for the soulless bureaucracy to smile upon them, they hope, <laughs> uh, they deliver drugs for a local crime lord. Mm. So the thing that the Darden brothers have always done is they tell these absolutely gripping stories of vulnerable outsiders, but always with a slight genre twist. Okay. That always feels very believable. There's some kind of crime story to make the narrative compelling and sort of sweep you along mm. with it. Uh, the first film I saw of theirs was uh, La Promise, uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, which was a movie about the son of a human trafficker. Uh, but it's not just going to be about that. It's not just going to be about, you mm-hmm. know, the trafficking. One of the workers falls off a ladder and dies. And so now they need to cover up the death whilst also dealing with the consequences of it and learning the value of this, you know, at one stage anonymous person's life. Okay. So that's what the Dardens do. You know, a, a father hires his son's killer as an apprentice in his workshop. A couple decide that they're going to sell their baby. Or a young woman plots to kill her sham marriage husband for the money. Hmm. Or another woman has to race all weekend to convince a panel of co-workers to let her keep her job. Hmm. You know, they are... All of these films are naturalistic and beautifully observed human dramas but with these little twists that just make them really riveting Mm. and so this isn't just going to be a few days in the life of immigrants in belgium it's a very tense story about their involvement in this seedy underworld and pretty early on um in an attempt to earn a bit more money lakita agrees to essentially be locked away in a drug farm which she doesn't even know the location of so that she can help them sort of grow drugs on an industrial scale, which, you know, the deal is you do, you do this for like a month or two and then you get out and you get, you know, a passport and all the rest of it. Mm. And so Tori now has to try and like locate Lokita um, and sort of, you know, follow the drug crime, crime law that they worked for in order to try and reconnect with her. Mm. And suddenly it's kind of like a, a prison break movie. And mm. it's like, you know these thriller elements that they're really good at and all the while you're just learning about these characters and their plight and i don't know it reminds me of that movie that i saw during the film festival aisha Mm. which was a very straightforward sort of here is the life of an immigrant it's hard it's difficult and it's really you know unpleasant and something should be done and that movie has value of course and it's you know a very provocatively told story but by having this kind of exciting plot to it you can just make it a lot more watchable and ultimately if you're telling a movie that has a social consciousness thing to say you've got to make it watchable as well and Tori and Nikita is tragic but it's also very human you know kind of heartbreaking but also provocative and like Mm. exciting as well so yeah for me this is just what the Dardenne brothers do so well and it's just very exciting to see a new film from them so yeah Tori and Nikita is five stars as well wow great yeah wonderful that sounds interesting yeah yeah it's really good and really great performances from its two leads as well especially the little kid he's great nice yeah (laughs) i only got one left one left one left what kind of christmas is this (laughs) you round us out then paul all right strange world strange world strange world I was watching a TV show last night on, Ooh. I think it was on Prime or something. We were, it's just some Ugh. Canadian, it's sort of like Midsummer Murders, I think. this. It, we didn't really know what we were watching, but I think it's going to be like Midsummer <laughs> Murders, but what if in Canada, starring <laughs> Dr. Octopus? Oh, Alpha Melina. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So I think this is going to just be a series of deaths in this small town in this snowy yeah. bit of Canada. Seems plausible. Um, yeah. <laughs> With that only seems to have about a dozen residents. So. <laughs> <laughs> they lose yeah. <laughs> t- t- 12% of their population every, every exactly. year. Um, every week. <laughs> um, but at one point, this song came on and I was like, oh, they've just used Mad World. That's, and then it was in French. And I'm like, oh, of course. Oh. That was very fun. It's listening to it. Love being, that. Singing along and being like, oh, yeah, you really have just done this word for word. The same <laughs> translated the lyrics. But it was enjoyable. Well, it's a... V- it's a very, very... What would very, very... 
It was something like li- literally like it was c'est un très très c'est un monde très no that was it c'est un monde très bizarre <laughs> no that was it it was a monde fou well fou I can't remember how exactly they um they fit the lyric to the song but it was yeah they said c'est un monde fou I'm like that is literally just it's a mad world <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay of course Pierre le fou yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. There French go. corner. Goddard. French corner. Well, get out of French corner and get into American Avenue <laughs> because it's Boulevard, I guess. Yeah. It's Strange World, the new Disney animated movie dumped unceremoniously into cinemas for and about a week. This one. We, yeah, mm. little to no advertising and then Zero. shoved onto Disney Plus almost exactly one year after Encanto was placed on Disney Plus. And you remember what a big deal that was and how everyone was talking about it? Uh, well, they didn't do it this time. Yeah. So what's going on? Is the movie terrible? Are they embarrassed mm. about it? Is it because there's a prominent gay character who wouldn't be easily edited out of the international versions? It's that. Strange World. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. 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 It's definitely that. So this is an homage to old fashioned adventure sci-fi stories like Jules Verne and the like. And, you know, kind of, yeah, like old pulp sci-fi novels. Mm. And it concerns the land of Avalonia, which is cut off from the rest of the world by high mountains. Mm. And an adventurer, Jaeger Clade, played by Dennis Quaid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) An adventurer, Denise Quade. Denise Quade. (laughs) Quad. And his unadventurous son, Searcher Clade, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. They try to find a passage through the mountains, but accidentally discover a new energy source for Avalonia. Uh, Searcher wants to um, use it and go back. Uh, Jaeger wants to go forward and find the pass, so they separate. Um, And yeah, Searcher manages to turn Avalonia into this utopia with lots of electricity and devices. Mm. Uh, But then when there's something, when something turns out to be wrong with that energy source and the, uh, the sort of, yeah, it is threatened he and his family must venture back into the wilderness uh, in order to try and find out what's wrong. And they discover the strange world. Ah, and also, you know, the dad, of course. Yeah, also. he's the, Yeah, he comes back. I'm sure. Quickly. Yeah, so the film is fairly bland. The mm. characters are all stock and the comedy is as you'd expect for a Disney movie. And the aesthetic is kind of different in terms of color scheme, but is very much the house, mm. you know, the mouse house style. And yeah... Which, unfortunately, having watched some really good animation over the Christmas break is really just, really stands out for how generic it is. Mm. Story-wise, it's doing an environmental thing. Mm. You know, the world is a single organism and you have to respect it, but nothing as eloquent or creative as as a Pixar film. It's more eloquent and sophisticated than uh, Avatar, but nevertheless, <laughs> you know, and the aesthetic is more different from other stuff that's come out recently than Avatar, but... Mm. Still, it's just, it thoroughly slots into the tradition of recent Disney Animation Studios movies like Raya and the Last Dragon or Ralph Mm. Breaks the Internet or Big Hero 6. Just, there it is, you know, it's not going to stick with you afterwards. And, yeah, as a result of the terrible publicity for the film, it has been a box office bomb, Mm -hmm. uh, which isn't the greatest tragedy in the world, but it is a good demonstration that Disney can kill one of its own movies if it decides it wants to. Yeah. Um, Makes me wonder why it decided to commission it in the first Mm. place. But uh, anyway, uh, it's it, it's it's not a film, unfortunately, that it's able to get very worked up about and sort of say the injustice. I, yeah, I wondered why I hadn't heard much about it. I saw like one yeah. post on Twitter a few weeks ago. This was a while ago, actually. Yeah, I think it was it was dumped out in the sort of pre-Christmas run up. Mm. 
It was but, November, um, in fact, I think, late yeah, November. Yeah, I've just... heard nothing since then, which makes yeah. sense if it's actually, no one's, you know, it's not actually worth fighting for. <laughs> no, it reminded me very strongly of, like, Lightyear. Oh, uh, okay, know? yeah. But that, I mean, but that's the thing, is Lightyear came out, it was as good as this, but because the publicity got put behind it, it made money. Yeah. You know, and it made an impression. Of course, it also had the original property connection mm, there, but true. even that was tenuous enough that I feel like, mm. you know, Toy Story fans would not see it as a must-see. Yeah. So, you know, the point is, you put money behind the, the marketing of a thing, you can make it a success. This movie is not strong enough to survive on word of mouth, because mm. nobody... I feel like no, nobody's going to watch this and then say to all their friends, you've got to watch this! You know, it's just... It's very, very generic. It's basically the state of Disney Animated Studios at sure. the moment. Which, That's you know, shame. without Pixar, is a bit of a dull thing. Mm. So it's two stars for that one, I'm afraid. Oh, wow, it's, okay. Yeah, it's just not very special. Um, which is a shame, because obviously, considering it's very likely that this movie got shit-canned because of its gay representation, mm. you want to say. But even that, I mean, the gay representation is good in as much as it's very matter-of-fact. It's not a big deal. Mm. Nor is it one of those horrible, very popular in Disney-style, uh, mostly left off-screen, and then you know the creator can tweet a week later saying, oh yes, this character is queer. Yeah. And everyone can be like, oh wow, that's so good. And it's no, it's in there. Like the the, the main character, the son, mm. has a crush on a boy throughout the entire movie, and almost all of his scenes are about him talking about that. Mm. You know, I don't think they the, uh, they get like because they also kiss. So there's not like a big kiss scene or anything mm. like that, but they are implied to have gotten together mm. by the end. Yeah, so it's good representation. It's representation as you like to see it. Of just you know, it matter of fact, there yeah. it is. Yeah, it's normal exactly. You know, that's not the strange part of the strange world, and that's a cool <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> look a strange world and everyone just turns and points at him yeah <laughs> look at this strange world it's just like ours except that gay yeah. people do not are treated exactly the same as everyone else <laughs> bizarre yeah, bizarre such weird folk here <laughs> such a mad world mm. set on mon set on mon so yeah it's it's fine as the thing it's it's, it's forgettable you know, it, it really didn't benefit very well from the fact that over the Christmas period we watched Pinocchio and My Father's Dragon again. Sure. Both of which you just think, wow, what unique films to have been made and how mm. fortunate we are that they have been made. And then it's just this and it's like, wow, it almost feels like you'd have to try hard to stop this getting made. <laughs> you know, you'd have to try really hard to get Disney to stop just churning out incredibly generic films. Yeah. So it's, there's no miracle here. Ah. Ah, Disney. Yeah. Ah, Disney. You're taking up so much room and doing so little with it. Yeah. That's kind of what makes me, again, want to champion Avatar 2. <laughs> because even though it's James Cameron and his boring, I don't give a shit about plot or character machine, mm. you know, he's still... I don't know. Am, am I just at this stage wanting anything that can beat Disney? Maybe. Maybe. Ugh. Of those five films I saw the trailer for, the boring one was the Marvel one. Ah, uh, interesting. Which, what yeah. was it? Uh, it's the new Ant-Man. Oh. There's another one? Yeah. There's going to be another Ant-Man. I thought the second one didn't do that well. Yeah, but that's Marvel. They don't have to. <laughs> they don't have to, I guess. <laughs> and also not doing that well still probably means it made a billion dollars. Yeah, true. Just, ugh. True. Oh, dear. But look, there's a lot to look forward to next year. Mm-hmm. New Mission Impossible. Mm. New oh, John yes. Wick. <gasps> yes, of course. <gasps> 
Oh, oh, well, Oppenheimer, of course. Yes, yes we got a new trailer for Oppenheimer in Ooh. IMAX. It was really good. Barbie movies coming. Barbie. <laughs> there is a whole bunch of cool Fun. things coming in 2023. Stuff to get excited about. So, yeah, I'm not going to bemoan the state of cinema at the nah. moment. And hey, look how many five-star reviews I gave out this yeah. episode. So, yeah, there ain't nothing wrong with that. And cool. I look forward to the next couple of months where Britain will be spending its time catching up on all the movies that Americans have been speaking about for months. <laughs> Got Babylon, Meet the Fablemans. It's not called Meet the Fablemans. I keep calling it Meet the Fablemans. <laughs> it's, called... it's just called the Don't Fablemans. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look up. I can't wait to see it. And this this crazy hit movie called Parasite that I've heard so much about. Ah. I can't wait for that to get a UK release at long last. It really? No, no. Okay, <laughs> it's an exaggeration of how. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, though, Koreeda uh, Hirokozu um, Koreeda, one of my favorite directors, made a Korean film. Okay. Yeah, very interesting, starring the guy from Parasite. Okay. So, yeah, that should be with us. Uh, Broker, I believe it's called. So mm. that should be with us next month, and I look forward to that. So, yeah, lots of cool things on their way. Great. Yeah. Yay. Ah, <sighs> what about you, Chen? What have you? What have you seen this month? Uh, this Christmas, what if I watched film? What have you watched over Christmas? Uh, rewatched the last twenty minutes of Frozen. Fuck yeah! How did that go? Oh, fun, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, it cut to me walking around the house, just going, "Let it go, let it go." (laughs) (laughs) Can't hold it back anymore. (laughs) We watched um, Pinocchio, Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. How did that go? Um, yeah, very well. Very good. Isn't it great? Isn't yeah, it's lovely. A great film? It's very lovely. I adore um, that film. Although I, weird, I very much enjoyed it. think it's excellent. I expected yeah. it to get weirder. And that's Ooh. because I'm used to the, the original. I don't know about the original. It's based on a book, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. I um, think so. But the Disney cartoon from many decades ago. My, I, maybe it's just oh, yeah. because I haven't watched it in years. But it, it gets, I think freaky that where yes. they are all turning into donkeys and i've just yeah. in my maybe it's because i watched it as a child but in my memory the sequences of just like just actually being slightly horrified at bits of it and so like whilst this was wonderful and there were like you know you've got the big whole you know what's it's not a whale it's a catfish and all yeah. of that sequence which they have and the afterlife in, yeah and the after the afterlife was wonderful yeah but i just kept waiting for someone's face to get like transformed into a fr- <laughs> but no they went down a more like not real life, but um, you know, with the whole like yeah, the, the Nazi, tra- I mean, you know, the training camp there and is, stuff that which was yes, interesting. And there so. is also a scene where Pinocchio gets shot by Mussolini, which you know, that's true. That's you've true. Got to, you've got to appreciate that. That's true. <laughs> I think I ran out of the room to get a tissue at that point. <laughs> I just came back in and I was like, oh, he's dead again. And I think Mussolini shot him. Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's true. But it was a more. Um, it was still very fantastical. But yeah. particularly because it was Guillermo del Toro, I was like, oh, people are going to start sprouting eyes and something weird. So, you know, like getting kind of body horror. Um, I mean, the, the fairy. Too much. The fairy who gave him life, you know, who's this yes. beautiful woman in the Pinocchio version here has like eyes all over her yes, wings. Yes, she does. That yeah. was very uh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, um, there's some really great creature mm. design in this. But I just love the animation of yes, it. It's all hand stunning. done, like these little stunning. things. And it's just gorgeous. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I love that. Who is it? Is it? I mix it up because Tilda Swinton is in this movie. She's it's both Kate the Blanchett. angels, isn't she? Yes, she is. And Kate, but Kate Blanchett is the monkey. So Kate Blanchett oh, is, is in this entire movie, just kind of going. Wah, wah. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's amazing. Yeah, because Guillermo del Toro worked with her on Nightmare Alley, and she basically said, "I want any part that you have in Pinocchio." <laughs> 
and he's like, well, there's only one part I haven't cast yet. And it's a monkey. That's fantastic. It's the monkey. <laughs> I didn't realise that. That's so good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And yeah, yeah. yeah Christoph Waltz is the, yes. is the Volpe. El- Volpe. Volpe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. What yeah. a great film. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, I also watched Glass Onion, of course. Yes. Glass Hooray. Layer Cake. Dong. <laughs> Dong. Which is also I love that movie, and I'm so glad that people are talking about it. Mm, it's just... Mm. Uh, yeah. I love that movie. It was oh, That yeah. was superb. Yeah. Um, and with my mum, I rewatched. Um, like I said, what was it? Uh, Booksmart. That was it. Yay! So that was my second time, my mum's first time. She enjoyed that very oh. much. Excellent. Um, and what else did we watch? Yeah, just bits of TV. Oh, and of course, yeah. lots of World's Strongest Man, because it's Christmas. And what yes, is why Christmas is that on at Christmas? It always is. It's just a tradition. Yeah. We sit it's and watch unusual. World's Strongest Man, and I love it. <laughs> Amazing. I love it so much. It just takes me back. I forget every time and then it gets to it. I'm like, I love this show. Why don't I watch this all the time? Why am I not a World's Strongest Man fan? <laughs> Why am I not World's like, Strongest Man yet? Why am I not World's Strongest Man? <laughs> there are some people on there who are, there's one guy who is competing who is genuinely like 60 or something. I'm wow. just like, I have got the time. There is time in me. <laughs> to, <laughs> I've got another like 20, 30 years. I can get to this state. Yeah, you can get to be buff, Jen. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it'll happen. You'll see me there next year. Yep. One mm. day we'll be doing this whole podcast with you holding up my chair. <laughs> You're right up there, Paul. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And that'll be when this podcast really takes off. <laughs> I mean, it's a gimmick. I guess. The podcast is okay, but she delivers the whole thing holding up her co-host above her head. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> you just can't tell. I mean, there's absolutely no difference in the audio, but it's just nice to know that that's what's happening. <laughs> our, our live shows will sell out. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. People, people will be selling earplugs on the way in, but people just come in and sort of Come watch. to sit and stare at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but silent. <laughs> so, Paul. That's me grimacing and saying so, Paul, at the same time. Love it. What? What? Super You're hard. listening to Jen on the phone. I can't do it. <laughs> well, maybe without a grimace, you should tell people how they can find out more about this particular podcast. This podcast? Well, this podcast was Jen and the Film Critic, which is a Screen Mayhem podcast starring me, oh. Jen Blundell, and my film critic, Paul Salt. That's you. Hello down there. Yeah. Our theme music was by Jacob Blundell, who, which is my brother who loves Avatar. I look forward to his sort of brutal takedown of this entire episode yeah. later on. Fair. <laughs> That's fair. Mm. He's coming for you. Um, <laughs> he's, he's just, this, I imagine the outro music's going to come on. It's just going to be farts now. <laughs> Jake insisted. How did he do this? Farts, farts, farts. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you want to hear more from us, you can go, you can find us on Twitter at Screen Mayhem. Um, that we've also, we're also on ScreenMayhem.com. We sure are. Yeah, and there's for all your hot film news. Mm. Oh my God, the hottest the news. The hottest is on film there. news. Hot like a troublesome pizza. <laughs> um, and um, if you want to get in touch, you can email us at filmcriticpodcast at gmail.com. I think that about rounds it out. Don't you think, my good sir? I think it's as well-rounded as our friendship. And my <laughs> biceps. <laughs> oh dear, that was a well-timed cough. <laughs> and your biceps. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this podcast is as buff as Jen. Yay. Hey. Which is to say, middling to poor. Anyway. <laughs> For now. For now. Uh, so, yep. See you later then, friends. Bye, friends. Bye. Hope you're enjoying 2027 or whenever this episode comes out. <laughs> <laughs>